Are you sick and freaking tired of people taking advantage of you and pushing you around? Let's get after it. Nice girls aren't needy. Guys, there's a huge freaking difference between being needy and having needs. We so often don't want to bother people. We so don't want to say the things that we want because we're so freaking worried that we're going to come across needy. And we just got to stop. We have to acknowledge and understand the difference between being needy and that's something where you're looking to somebody else to fill you up. There's a big difference between being needy and having needs. So let's just stop putting them together and saying, oh, well, we can't be needy. No, that isn't true. And I'm going to break down, I'm going to actually tell you a real life story that happened literally last week, guys. So I get COVID. And because I have COVID, my husband doesn't want to come near me because if we're both sick, then the company literally stalls out. So he starts sleeping in another room. So one day goes, two day goes. The only interaction I have with him is on FaceTime. So I'm in one bedroom, he's sleeping in another. The FaceTime is, good morning, baby, love you, bye. Then, good night, baby, love you, bye. Now we agreed on this. As time got on, more and more, I was speaking to him less and less and less. And then what happens? He has to leave. He's got a trip. So I go, well, doesn't matter. You've got COVID. What are you going to do about it? I know that I really, my thing with my husband is I have to connect with him. I have to have the emotion. I have to have the touch. But because I've got COVID, I don't have the touch. So now he goes away and he goes away for a week. Now, when he comes back, guys, I have to go on a trip. So we still haven't actually seen each other flesh to flesh, skin to skin, and it ended up being three weeks. And so I start feeling that I need to be with him. I need his attention. I need the skin, the touch. But I don't want to be needy. I don't want to be needy. So I'm just like, well, you don't want to be needy, Lisa. So just keep going. It's fine. You've got COVID. What do you expect? He had the trip. He had the trip. So I made, guys, I had all the rational things in my mind. I was emotionally sober. I wasn't getting myself worked up. I was like, Lisa, this is just how life is. And this is what you've chosen. You've chosen not to sleep in the same room. You've chosen for him to go on a business trip. You've chosen to go on a trip. It's all a freaking choice. So why am I needy? It's okay. So I go on this trip. Now I've been swallowing that feeling of what I need. I haven't spoken. Sound familiar? You swallow your need. You don't speak up. You don't want to be needy because you're a good girl. And we all know the good girls shouldn't, quote unquote, be needy. Such bullshit. Three weeks pass. The needs that I have, I don't speak out loud. Now, I come back. Me and my husband are texting each other. Oh my God, I don't have COVID anymore. Babe, you're home. We're so excited. We're texting each other. Can't wait to see you. Oh my God. And then I walk in and he's like, look, whatever you do, babe, let's not work. When you come in, let's embrace each other. And I was like, oh my God, he's reading my mind. I don't actually even have to say what I need. He's literally reading my mind. So I come home from the trip and I walk in and I'm so excited. And he's sitting there on a business call and doesn't even look at me. He doesn't even look at me. So now I go from this need that I have and then I think oh I don't need to speak the need because it seems like it seems like we're about to settle it by seeing each other in person and then I walk in and I don't even get a look I don't even get a nod I don't get a wave so I get upset I go 
from being so excited. Oh my God, I've been able to keep my shit together. I've been able to keep cool. And then literally in this one moment, I freaking lose it. And so I just get mad at him. I storm off. Now, cut to a couple of hours later, he comes back and we start talking. He's like, oh my God, it was such a stressful meeting. And he's like, babe, when you walked in, oh my God, I wanted nothing more than to hug you. But because I was in a stressful meeting, I didn't want to look at you with that, uh, with those eyes, with stressful eyes. And so he thought he was doing something nice for me. He thought he was doing something where I would understand, but actually it did the opposite. And I felt like I was being ignored. I felt like those three weeks apart didn't actually mean anything to him when they actually meant a lot, to, like really severely meant a lot to me and that I needed to be with him. I needed to hug him. And here I was now feeling alone. This is all a story I've made up in my head, guys. I'm the one that didn't speak up for three weeks. I'm the one that said, no, Lisa, you understand it. And here I am now walking into one moment, interpreting something in a way. Now, look. This is the difference between being having needs and being needy. I was so worried about being needy that I didn't speak up about my needs. So you can see why this freaking rule of nice girls shouldn't be needy is actually a massive detriment to all of us, to all women in the world. It's a freaking detriment because what we're doing is we're not actually saying what we need, which means that we're swallowing it. And then what does it end up doing? It ends up in my situation, making me lose my shit because I was the one that thought, Lisa, you can't be needy. Once I realized I hadn't been speaking up, I pulled my husband aside after I calmed down and after I was like, look, it wasn't nice that I walked into the room and you gave me a dirty look. But the truth is the look wouldn't have bothered me Here's the magic. Here's the magic. Lean in. It wouldn't have bothered me if I had spoken up earlier. It wouldn't have bothered me if after week one, I was like, babe, you know what? I'm really feeling like we're distancing. I feel like I really need to touch you. Now I've got COVID, so I'm not actually sure what I would do about that. But let's come up with ideas. Let's come up with strategies. Let's come up with maybe you can be on the outside of my window on the balcony. So maybe I can mask up, you come in, you run outside, or I run outside, and now we close the door again, and now at least we see each other. And you can be on one side of the glass and I can be on the other. That is a very valid solution. But I didn't want to be needy, so I didn't freaking say anything. And where does it end up? With me getting upset over something that I actually shouldn't have gotten upset about, that I know myself I could have done better on. And so guys, that, my friends, is exactly why we need to stop tricking ourselves. We need to stop saying that we shouldn't be needy. We need to stop using that language and we need to pivot and say, I have needs. I will vocalize my needs. Now this goes for not just a romantic relationship, guys, but it also goes with your friends. Tell your freaking homie that you need them. What's wrong with that? Now again, like I've said, there is that fine line where you're looking to somebody else to fill your cup because you're not willing to fill it up for yourself. Yes, I said it. Because you're not willing, maybe you don't realize. But that is the, the last point that I wanna make here, guys. I am not saying that we should just tell everyone, I need this from you, I need this from you, I need this from you, and not be willing to do the shit yourself. You've got to start there. You've got to start with being willing to do the shit yourself. And that's where I started. I was like, all right, I can get through this. I don't need to speak up. I don't want to be needy. And so Lisa, if you're feeling this way, 
it is on you to figure it out. That's still true. But that doesn't mean to keep quiet. That doesn't mean to stay freaking silent. That doesn't mean to not tell people, especially your romantic partner, what you need in your relationship. Nice girls listen to their parents. Now guys, everything I'm about to say is knowing that I love my parents, I respect my parents, I'm not just gonna be honest, I wanna be praised by my parents. I want my parents to be proud of me. So I'm just gonna own it, I'm just gonna be honest about it because that's, I think, super freaking important to admit to ourselves. Now here's the thing, you can say all of that and still you absolutely can disagree with them. You can respect them, you can hear them, but you don't have to blindly listen to them. I'm gonna tell you a story because literally this was one of those moments, guys, you wanna know what changed my life? If I had listened to my dad, who loves me more than life itself, I just need to say that as well. My dad loves me more than life itself, but if I had listened to him, my life would have been very, very different. If I'd listened to my dad, I wouldn't have married Tom. We just celebrated our 20 year wedding anniversary. If I'd listened to my dad, we wouldn't have started Quest Nutrition that we sold for a billion dollars. If I'd listened to my dad, I wouldn't be standing here in front of the camera doing YouTube videos trying to help people. Now, in saying all of that, none of that means you don't hear them out. None of that means that you don't own, that you want your parents to be proud of you. You can do that as well. So, Here's what I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna break down the situation that I found myself in and how I handled it. Firstly, step number one is give your parents grace. Now look, I'm saying that from not a person who's been physically abused by my parents, so I wanna say that. But other than that, give your parents grace. Give your parents grace that maybe, and I'm just gonna speak for myself, the advice I got from them was all based on their perspective of life. Now think about that. All the advice I'm giving you guys is based on the perspective of my life. So now, if you go, oh yeah, Lisa, that makes sense. Well, the, perspective, the advice I'm giving you is based on my experience, is based on the things that have happened to me in my life. And the same goes for your parents, guys. The same goes for them. The advice they are giving you is based on their perspective. And now, the whole idea is, you just need to ask yourself, does their perspective resonate with you, who you are, and what you want in life? Because there is, I'm just gonna say it, and you may wanna argue with me, there is no right or wrong. My dad wasn't, quote unquote, wrong for saying I shouldn't marry Tom. That was his opinion. So now, when you try and try to dismiss oh, where they're wrong, you're actually shutting them down. Now, when you shut them down, that's where the conflict comes. That's where you start getting your parents saying one thing, you start defending yourself, and that's why we get into this like riff. And then we get into the point that we get to the point where we're like, we just want to communicate with our parents and we can't. Like they're telling me one thing and I don't want to do it. It's because you're uh, like a freaking, um, you're stonewalling. You're just shutting each other down. You're literally ignoring each other. So in order, to get past that in order to have a wonderful relationship with your parents, but not let them dictate who you end up being or how you show up every day, you have to start by giving them the grace. 
Okay, now, what I do, guys, to give them the grace, because just saying that doesn't actually help, right? It's like, okay, Lisa, I want to give them the grace, but how? I don't feel it. You have to feel it. So what I did is I started to replay why my dad thinks like that. So let me give you a perfect example. My dad grew up in a tiny village in the mountains of Cyprus. So just to paint a picture of what that actually looked like, my grandmother's kitchen was a cauldron and fire. Think about that. There was no, like, great gas ovens. It was a cauldron, an actual freaking cauldron, guys, with a fire. So now, that's where my dad grew up. My grandmother never went to school. She never got an education. She didn't know how to read. She taught herself how to read by reading the Bible. Okay, now hopefully you've got the picture of what my dad's life looked like. In this village, there's no school because there's like 50 huts. So what they would do, the government would take a selected few kids from each of the villages and take them and pay for their schooling. Okay, so now imagine 11-year-old Lisa's dad sees that no women in the village ever got selected because contraception didn't exist. They would like, let's say, get married and pregnant at the age of 16, 17, because there was no contraception. And so my dad saw women never got an education. So he just took that as fact. So he goes off and he gets an education and he comes to England and he builds his career. And then he looks at me. And so when I ask him, dad, I want a career. I want to go make movies. I want to be in Hollywood. He looks at me like I'm nuts. Now, is that a true reflection of me? Is that a true reflection of today's society? Is that a true reflection of what is possible for me? No. But is it still fact for him? Yes. So imagine, now I'm saying, Dad, you're crazy. What are you talking about? And I'm just dismissing him. How do you think that conversation is going to go? He's going to feel dismissed as your parent who you've been listening to, let's face it, for let's say 14 years of your life, maybe 15, depends how um, obedient you were. But you've been listening to your parents for 14, 15, 16, 18 years, whatever. And now all of a sudden you become this person, you become a grown up, you develop your own thinking, you develop your own thoughts. But the truth is your parent is still your parent and they are still there thinking you're going to listen to them. So in these situations, when someone, when your parents coming to you with a very harsh, you need to do this and this, you give them the grace, you hear them out. And yet, you stand firmly on your position. Now, what does it actually look like? Because you make, okay, Lisa, I hear you all. Like, I've given my parents grace. I understand where they came from. But let's say they come at you. What are you doing? I can't believe you're studying film. All right. What you do is you say, I have heard you. Like, literally, these are the words. I have heard you. Thank you so much for that advice. But I'm actually decided I'm going to choose this, whatever this is. And you just keep repeating those words, guys. I have heard you. Thank you for your advice. I have decided. Those are very specific phrases and words I use when I talk to my parents. Why? Because there's nowhere to go. If they want to start shouting at you, it is what it is. I, I almost like don't, I just let them. And that, I've never actually been in that situation. But my dad, he's a little relentless. If you know any Greek men out there, they're freaking relentless. So my dad, it wasn't like it was just once and he's like, all right, fine. It was time and time again. We argued, guys, for two freaking weeks. We argued because I wanted to study film and my dad didn't want me to. And then the results were his comment at the end, well, you're going to be a stay-at-home wife in a way, so it doesn't really matter. 
Now again, in that moment, are you going to let a comment like that be a reflection of how they feel about you? No, just because my dad doesn't necessarily think that I can succeed as a career woman doesn't mean he doesn't love me. But sometimes we conflate the two. Sometimes we put the two together. That the fact that your parent doesn't want you to do one thing and you want to do another means that they don't love you. If they don't accept your decision, we then automatically paint that that means they don't love us. We've got to stop doing that. We have to see the reality for what it is. And the reality is, is that your parent has a different vision of what your life should look like than you. Your parent has a different perspective than you. But none of that means they don't love you. None of that means they don't care about you. And none of that means that they actually don't want the best for you. But they just disagree on what that best looks like. And so what I did is I kept saying to my dad, I respect you. Thank you so much for giving this, but I'm going to do this. Now, when it came to my husband, my dad was saying, look, he'd never seen people in different cultures where marriage worked. My entire background, guys, my entire background, all of my dad's family, everyone married a Greek Orthodox, everybody. And now here I am saying, not only do I want to marry someone that wasn't christened, I want to marry someone that wasn't christened, that doesn't speak Greek, that comes from a place called Tacoma, Washington in the United States. So of course my dad immediately went, oh, it's never going to work. Now he did that because he cares about me. He so loves his daughter so freaking much, he doesn't want me to be heartbroken. He loves his daughter so freaking much, he doesn't want me to move cities, move countries, and be heartbroken and not have my family around. So that's why my dad said it. But I made it about me. When my dad first told me, I made it about me. I made it about the fact that he thought I couldn't make it work. I made it about the thought that he thought I was bad at relationships. So you can imagine where I'm hearing this, I get all upset, he gets upset because I'm upset. And now it's just this freaking whirlwind of turmoil where we're just arguing and we're getting upset. And now me and my dad are not connecting anymore and we're on completely different pages. But there's ways, guys. I've just broken down the language you can use, the way you can approach it. And then the final thing is, I'm just going to say it. My dad accepted it. He didn't want to, but he accepted it. And then over time, I just knew I have to believe in myself. I have to believe in my relationship with my dad. I have to believe in my career, whatever that thing is. I have to believe in it. I have to know that every day I'm going to freaking get up and crush it. That I know that I'm going to do that because that is in my power. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to succeed. There are going to be moments, and this is the last thing, guys, that may hold you back, that may trip you up. What if you fail? What if, Lisa, I'm sitting here saying all of this, and then I end up getting divorced? Or I say all of this, and we start Quest Nutrition, and we go bankrupt. That's a huge freaking possibility. So I don't want to do some magic trick to be like, oh my God, and you're going to crush it and you're going to show everybody. I hope. I hope. There's a big difference, guys, between hope and actually doing it. And there's no guarantee. There's no, there is no guarantee that your relationship is going to work when your parents told you it won't. There's no guarantee that your career is going to work if your parents told you you're making a mistake. But that's okay. That's okay, because you have to do the work first before you actually get started. You have to be okay with the fact that you may fail. You have to be okay with the fact that you may have to get back up when you fall to your knees. You have to be okay with saying, if this relationship doesn't work, at least I'm going to learn from it. It doesn't mean that your parents were right. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have done that. So that's the last part. But you have to be prepared for it. And you have to be prepared for that if it fails, your parents may be the type of people that say, see, I told you so. And what do you do in those situations? What do you do when you're already crestfallen and now your parents are like, see, you should have listened to me.
If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. If you have done the work, if you've processed why you're doing it, getting married or marrying someone specific or having a career or whatever it is, moving countries, if you've done the internal work, you know your why. You're so grounded in your why. You know how you're going to show up every day. You know that you're in it to learn. You know that you're in this relationship that of course there's going to be bumps. Of course your career is going to have pitfalls. That's freaking life. And so if you can ground yourself in why you made the decision in the first place, if you can ground yourself into giving your, your parents that grace, then you can see why. If you fall on your face and you fail and it's a relationship, you can go, oh, maybe there was truth in what my parents said. And now all you're going to do is use that for your next relationship. And maybe you say to your parents, you know what? Oh my God, you were actually right. You saw this thing that I didn't see. And now I'm going to take that and learn from it. There should be no guilt on making that decision and then failing. Even if your parents told you otherwise, 
zero guilt, zero freaking shame. And it all starts with, guys, how I started this point at the beginning of giving them grace, but still doing you and doing you all the freaking way, homie. Nice girls aren't rude. All right, guys, here's the thing. I never want to be rude. But sometimes it's the fact that we don't want to be rude that ends up being so freaking detrimental to us that it's absolutely nuts. Here's one example. Stats show that women so don't want to be rude, we so don't want to make someone uncomfortable, that if we're sitting at dinner and I swallow something and I'm choking, I don't want to be rude. So I get up and I go to the toilet and I choke in silence. I choke on my own in the restroom. Stats show that women end up dying in freaking restrooms, people. Like, this is, this fucking makes me mad. We're so worried about being rude for choking in front of somebody that we go to the toilet. I think it was like Glennon Doyle that posted about this that got this onto my radar. We go to the toilet because we don't want to be rude because we're a nice girl and we end up freaking dying. We choke. What? The fuck? That's why right now I had to say, we sometimes have to be rude. We sometimes have to gag in front of people in public to save our own bloody lives. Here's another example. I so remember, I was like 13 years old and I was walking back from school. I remember this guy so vividly because I was tall. I was tall, nice girls are not rude. So I'm 13 years old. I'm walking home from school. I'm in my uniform and I'm walking, I've got my backpack on. You start to hear like a car. But it's like, you know, you got reaction, that like feeling. It's like the car's going slow, but it doesn't stop and it doesn't rev up. It's kind of going at the same pace that I'm going. So I look around and there's like this guy by himself in a car and he's driving so slowly and he's looking at me. No, I'm 13. I've been told nice girls shouldn't be rude. So in that moment, I'm like, all right, should I run? Well, no, you don't want to embarrass yourself, Lee. You don't want to be rude to the freaking stranger that I don't even know that could potentially be here to kidnap me. Like, I say it kind of hot, like, jokingly, guys, but you've got to know I mean this shit. You've got to know I really mean it, that that's what you're worried about, that that's what I was worried about. And in that moment, I remember thinking, I should run, I should run, but you don't want to be rude. But in that moment, I remember so vividly saying, okay, yes, you don't want to be rude, you've been told, but he may be stalking you. So just run and deal with the embarrassment after. So literally, I start running down the street, guys, as this car's behind me, and I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. How embarrassing. It's probably just some poor dude looking for his kid. All because I was taught nice girls are not freaking rude. We've got to stop it. We've got to think about what the hell that actually means. And when it comes into conflict of saving our freaking lives, be rude. Be the most rudest human freaking being on the planet. That's permission right there, homie. Right there. Nice girls don't push back. Guys, the problem with this is that we end up letting people take advantage of us. We don't push back. And in moments where you start getting that gut feeling, something's not right, but you don't push back. You don't really say anything. And then it happens again. You're like, this is really starting to like upset me, bother me. 
And then it gets to the point where you don't push back again, 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 and people start to absolutely take advantage of you. Like that's the one downside, guys, of actually being nice, is that people take advantage. So the truth is, guys, you absolutely can be nice and you can be firm. They don't have to be separate. They can go hand in hand. Now, I'm gonna share a story with you I've never shared before. I'm not gonna say names, but something happened to me probably six months ago, and I felt so taken advantage of, I wanted to punch myself in the face for not doing something differently. And so that's why I actually wanna be here right now and, and talk about this, because even me, who I kind of think of myself as spending the last 10 years, like waxing on, waxing off with mindset and standing up for myself and not getting pushed around. And yet even me, when I think that, oh, I've kind of got this down pat, no, no, even me, it happens. So I want you to really hear this, that it is almost, um, these things are going to rear its ugly head, no matter what you do, no matter how much you think that you've got things down. And when they do, it's just a reminder to refine your tactic and your skill and not to beat yourself up over the fact that you let it happen. So there was a moment where um, I was doing business with somebody. I'm gonna keep this loose. So it got me a little uncomfortable right now. Okay, so I was doing business with someone and something wasn't right. And when you do contracts, guys, I am so over the top with all I care about is my friendship. Like business, honestly, to me, is fucking secondary. So anytime I'm doing business with anyone, whether it's a friend, I'm always like, well, especially when it's a friend, I'm like, our friendship comes first. Do we agree? Yes or no? Great. If we agree, then now we both have, we're both aligned and we both act in accordance to knowing that our friendship is the most important thing. Now with this business deal, I started to write stipulations. These are the things I don't want to happen. These are going to be important to me when it comes to business. Now over time, I started to get a feeling the gut, the gut feeling, I was like, something doesn't feel right. And I'm not quite sure what. Like, they're saying all the right things, but I'm getting this weird freaking sense. But I didn't push back. I didn't say anything. I just kept letting it happen. And so what I started to do, I was like, you know what? We women shut down our gut intuition way too much. But sometimes we actually let it steer us and sometimes it's in the wrong direction. Sometimes our gut, our gut reaction or our gut intuition is wrong. I think of gut intuition like a skill. You've got to practice, you've got to train it. And so in this moment, I was like, all right, Lisa, you've got this gut feeling that you've been taken advantage of, but instead of just not saying anything, which I've just said where it led me, months and months and months of feeling really weird, instead of just allowing that, or instead of just jumping up and freaking pushing back immediately, remember, you can be nice and you can be firm. So I started to take inventory. I started to write down, on this date, so-and-so did this. My gut was telling me this. So I actually want you to do this, guys. I want you to have a cheat sheet, like a gut cheat sheet, if you will, and start writing down moments where you're getting this gut intuition. Now, that doesn't mean push back immediately, because again, sometimes we can push back, and we're just like, oh, why, why did I do that? It maybe was a trigger and a pushback. So I'm not saying jumping straight into it. Keep an inventory, write down what your gut was telling you. And then you're gonna use it as your cheat sheet to go back to and see if you were right or not. So over time, I started to feel like I was getting taken advantage of more and more. I started to sense this, I started to write it down, I started to take inventory. And as each week started to go by, I started to get this feeling more and more and I started to write down. I actually can't lie to you guys, I don't write things down. I keep it all in my head, but if you're the type of person that needs to write it down, write it down. So I'm keeping all of this in my head and I'm like, it's getting worse. Now I need to not 
worry about being the nice person. I just need to start being firm on where that line is for me because I was just letting them cross it. Just let them cross it, let them cross it, let them cross it. Doesn't mean I have to be a bad friend. Doesn't mean I have to be a bad business partner, but I can't ignore it anymore. I can't be that nice girl that doesn't push back, that doesn't make sense to me. I can be nice and I can be firm. I can be nice and I can be honest. I can be nice and I can be transparent. I can be nice and I can say the hard freaking shit. And so I ended up doing it. And what ended up happening was I was right. I was totally taken advantage of. And what happened? I didn't beat myself up, whereas I used to. I used to beat myself up, I saw it coming and I bloody ignored it. Here you go again, Lisa. Sound familiar? You guys saying that to yourselves? Well, instead of doing it, this tactic that I've just shared is a way to refine your gut instinct, is a way to say, oh, I am getting better. I am understanding what this emotion is. I am understanding my gut reactions, my gut triggers. And now I'm actually identifying that most of the time I can start to listen to it. And so that, guys, is how on earth you're able to still be a freaking badass, to still be a beautiful, nice freaking girl, and at the same time, push back and not let anyone freaking take advantage of you. Nice girls don't swear. Are you joking? If you're gonna you think that but if you're gonna you're gonna so what the swear. Go ahead. Nice girls don't rattle cages. Rattle the damn cage, people. Rattle the damn cage. What does, like, seriously, we're told to not make anyone uncomfortable, to not change anything. God forbid, God forbid, we're the ones that speak up and want to change some things. Are you bullshitting me? Are you joking? Guys, honestly, I lived this for eight freaking years in my marriage. And it's me, it wasn't even my husband. It was me putting it on my bloody self. So I'm a stay-at-home wife. I've gotten to the point where it's probably year three, year four, and I'm like, oh my God, is this my life? Guys, I had no dream so, of being a stay-at-home wife, so I need you to hear that. If that's your dream, fucking amazing, amazing. But if it's not, and you end up finding yourself in that situation, and you don't speak up, that's you trying to be a nice girl who's been told not to freaking rattle cages. And that's where I was. I was told, as a child, that I would grow up and be a housewife, that I would grow up, take care of my husband, and that was going to be my identity for the rest of my life. Flash forward, I end up actually doing it, even though that wasn't my dream. And now I'm in a situation where my husband comes home every single day and I'm living the bloody cliche where I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm putting clothes out for him. He doesn't have to think about anything. He comes home, everything's taken care of. And I freaking hated it, guys. Year five, I'm cooking, cleaning, putting clothes out and I freaking hate it. Year six, I'm cooking, cleaning, putting clothes out and freaking hate it. What? the fuck? Why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I say something? It's because of this. It's because we've been told that as a nice girl, you should never rattle the cage. You shouldn't make people uncomfortable. You shouldn't make people like um, go through anything tough. And you should be the one that is keeping the peace. Where did that leave me? Eight freaking years of unhappiness. That's where it left me. So what I ended up doing is I ended up speaking up. I ended up saying, if I have to rattle the cage for me to get out of this bloody cage, then I'm going to freaking rattle it. Guys, if you are in a cage, 
You have to, have to, have to think about how you're the one that's going to get yourself out. And if that means rattling the fuck out of it, then rattle the fuck out of it. I'm just going to say it. So what I did with my husband is I realized I put myself in this cage. I'm the one not speaking up and it is my responsibility to be the one to rattle it, to be the one to say, hey, this no longer serves me. Hey, this situation isn't the life I want anymore. And it wasn't until I pulled my husband aside and I said to him with the most utter compassion, I love you more than life itself, babe but I freaking hate cleaning for you. And I freaking hate putting clothes out for you. I love you, but I absolutely hate doing it. And so now we have to think about the new life, the ev evolution. How do I get out of it? That's gonna cause a lot of turmoil. That's gonna make your life more difficult because now you have to think about food yourself. Now you have to think about clean clothes yourself. So it's gonna make his life more difficult. But I needed to speak up. I needed to say that in order to get out the damn cage that I put myself in. And how do I do that? You have to start talking about it. You have to start voicing what doesn't sit well with you. And with grace and compassion, you have to talk to the people in your life and let them know why that doesn't sit well with you anymore. And when you're able to do it with grace, with compassion, with love, you'll be able to get to the other side of it. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy. Me and my husband had a lot of things to work through. So I told him I'm not happy here anymore. And so the rattling the cage, I'd already done. But now you have to make sure that you're actually then seeing it all the way through to the end. You don't just want to be the one that's fucking bitching and moaning and then doesn't have a solution. For the love of God, don't do that. Don't rattle the cage and then sit there and go, now nah, you've got to get me out of it. No, no, it's your freaking responsibility rattle it and then think it through so i said to my husband me the rattling if we're going to keep going down this like metaphor the rattling was i'm not happy for the last eight years i've been profoundly unhappy the rattling is me telling my husband i don't want to cook and clean for you anymore that's the rattling but i have to see it through i can't just leave it to him and be like now what are you going to do that's not right that's not right being the right partner and let's face it if i'm the one in the cage i'm the one seeking the escape Yes, I turned to him for support, but it's on me. So in this situation, I said, okay, so babe, together, how can we now navigate the evolution that I'm going through? What does that look like? I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be doing this. So I know where I need to go. Now the question is, how do we get there? Do I need to cook and clean for you six days a week? And this is actually what we end up doing, guys. This was the solution. I was like, babe, I'll cook and clean for you for six days a week. And then we'll go down to five, and then we'll go to four, and then we'll go to three, and then we'll go to two. And so what ended up happening was, I allowed him, the, I gave him the, um, the grace to admit that me, that I'm rattling the cage, that I am now stirring things up. And that is true. But it wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe you're stirring things up. It was like, okay, this is an evolution. This is a change. It's gonna take us time to get there. Please, can you give me the time and the grace to process this change? And I was like, of course, babe, you let me know what you need. So the solution was, I went down from six to two days a week that I was cooking for him. Then the cleaning part, we just came up with the things like, babe, I don't wanna do laundry. It feels like it's sucking out my soul. That is me rattling the cage. But then the solution is, so babe, I'm gonna do the laundry once a month. And so now let's talk about the uncomfortableness that can be the fact that now I'm only gonna do laundry once a month. What's the, what's the problem? Well, when am I gonna get clean underwear? Okay, well, 
I'm either going to buy you 30 different underwear so you can wear them all the way through the month and I never have to worry about it, or, babe, are you down for turning them inside out? Like, this is no bullshit, guys. How you rattle the cage and then come up with a solution? And I'm just being honest with you. These are the discussions that we had. And then cut to one day, I can't even remember, but I was so busy, I ended up not doing the laundry. And so he literally shouts, he's like, babe, I don't have any underwear, so I guess I'm going to go commando. And he goes to work, commando. He goes to work without underwear, without hesitation, without annoyance in his voice. Why? Because we had, I rattled the cage, I then sat with him and figured out how we were going to navigate through it. And the conclusion was, what's more important, a happy wife or clean underwear? And he was like, that's a fucking no-brainer. Of course I want a happy wife. So in this moment, where now he has to go to work in his, uh, when he has to go to work commando, he does it with glee in his voice. He does it with glee in his eyes, I should say. Because we've discussed it, we've processed it, we've changed how we're going to act. And now he's like, so babe, I guess I'm going commando. Bye. And that, my friend, is how you go from so worried that you don't want to rattle the cage, you don't want to upset anyone, you don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And so for eight years, I freaking stayed quiet. And then I just laid out all the ways I ended up being the hero of my own life, owning what I wanted, rattling the cage, and all of that led to me being right here, right now, today, talking to you guys, because I freaking rattled the cage. Nice girls are not confrontational. Guys, I've got such a story for you. It was one where I, I did this, um, even before I realized what I was actually doing. And now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that was actually one of the moments where I did speak up and it ended up changing my life for the better. And that told me that this one right here is fucking bullshit and we should never listen to it. I wanted to be in film. My dream was to be in filmmaking. I wanted to be first female director. So I got a job. One of my first like jobs out of school was to be a set photographer. I was like, I couldn't believe I was in Los Angeles. I was working on the movie set. I was in front of like actors that were semi-famous. Like I literally couldn't believe my fucking shit guys. I was so like, oh my God, this is actually my life. And during one of the shoes, one of the actors, long story, I won't bore you, but I ended up helping and stepping in for the props department because the person was off sick, so I jumped in. And so we're on set, I've got my photography, I'm the props department, and they, um, the actor is a scene and he's lighting matches. Because it's a nighttime scene, it's like two o'clock in the morning, and he's lighting matches. Now, I don't know if you guys know about film, but you have to, um, for the camera to pick up light, it has to be actually exaggerated. So instead of lighting one match, he was lighting like five at a time. Now, in the process of him lighting five at a time, he ends up running out of matches. And so he looks up at me and he's like, where are the matches? Now, I basically have a box that was given to me and I'm like, oh shit, where are the fucking matches, where are the fucking matches? And there were no matches in the box. So what does he do? He throws the matchbox at me. Let me repeat that. The Hollywood rumors sometimes sadly are true. He actually, the actor, threw the matchbox at me. Now, if we once upon a time, I would have swallowed it. Once upon a time, I never would have said shit. Once upon a time, I would have processed all the reasons why I was less than them, why I was less than him. I would have said to myself, but he's an actor, Lisa. Lisa, you're getting a paid gig. This is your dream. Don't you dare speak up. All of the people don't like girls that are confrontational, Lisa. You've got to be the easygoing one, Lisa. 
But God, I honestly, I don't actually know what happened. I think I just fucking snapped. Like, that's the truth. He throws the box of matches at me and it, in front of the whole crew. And I pause and I was like, I pick up the matches. And I was just like, you don't need to be rude. You don't need to throw this at me. I understand what we need. I'm going to run and I'm going to get it done. All I need is one minute. And I fucking bolt, guys. I bolt to the props department. I'm like, like where are the matches? But in that moment, in that moment where someone was so damn fucking disrespectful and they thought they had the right to throw a matchbox at me, I was like 21 at the time. So imagine this grown man. Once upon a time, guys, I wouldn't have said shit, but I fucking snapped. And I snapped though in actually the most beautiful confrontational way I possibly could. I look back now and I'm so damn proud of myself because I did it with grace. I didn't lose my shit. I didn't scream back. I was very eloquent. I said, there's no need to throw a matchbox at me. I will, and then I had a result. I will go fix it. So it's not like, like don't you dare do that to me, motherfucker. <laughs> right? It's like, I actually had a solution. I was like, I'm gonna go and fix it. But don't disrespect me like that. And because I did it, guys, with such calmness, I'm not even sure how I managed to do it looking back now. I was so nervous. You, in fact, I want one of those things where you like um, hook up your heart rate. I bet it was fucking off the chart. I was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Things. I can't believe you're doing it. But I did it. Now, here's the magic. Here's the freaking magic. This guy was rude to a lot of women on set. But after that, because I stood up in front of everybody, in front of the director, in front of the executive producers, they were all there, guys. I stood up. And I was so composed, but I didn't leave room for misinterpretation. I didn't leave room for emotion. In fact, that's like another key. I didn't scream and shout at him. I wasn't emotional. That is fucking important, guys. That's why I was heard. And in that moment when everyone went like, oh, was like is he so bad to get fired? Like you literally felt the air getting sucked out of that room. Actually, it was outdoors, but anyway, you, you get the point. In that moment, people saw that I still stood up for myself. That being confrontational doesn't mean you have to be bitchy. Being confrontational doesn't mean that you have to be overly emotional. Being confrontational doesn't mean that you have to go in there like a fucking bull in a china shop. You absolutely can confront someone when they've disrespected you and you can do it with utter fucking grace and ease. And those are the words that I use. Now, the very next day, the very next day, he was the nicest human to me. He ended up being nice to other women on the set because of that. Because I spoke up, because he knew he couldn't get away with that shit. I actually want to say, this guy's actually a lovely guy. So I actually don't want to say like, he's a fucking asshole. And he was such a lovely guy. But in this moment of being on set, I'm sure it was the stress. I'm sure it was the fact that he was trying to, you know, deliver a line and have his performance on point. It's like me standing in front of the camera now. If someone walks in, I'd be like, guys, I'm fucking zone you can't interrupt me so i actually get why he got frustrated but there's no fucking excuse to being disrespectful now again he was a lovely guy and maybe in that moment he just overextended himself either way in that moment i stayed calm i told i confronted him i confronted his disrespect and as a result he ended up being a nice 
human being. He ended up being very sweet. He ended up being very kind. He ended up being very um, understanding, I think, to the rest of the people. Because, guys, now look, I'm not saying about physical abuse, so please hear that. But I am saying everything else. You teach people how to treat you. You fucking teach people how to treat you. And in that moment, if I hadn't spoken up, if I hadn't have said, don't you throw a matchbox at me, I will go figure it out, but don't disrespect me. In that moment, I made very clear where that line was with me. And he saw the line, he recognized the line, and he adjusted. So do not, do not think about being confrontational as you walking in, being a bitch and telling people what to do and being arrogant. No, I'm not fucking saying that, guys. But you should absolutely, 1,000%, have the uttermost confidence that you have the right to confront someone when they're being inappropriate, overstepping the mark, or being disrespectful. Facts are just freaking facts. And that, my homie, is a fact. Nice girls take their friend's advice. All right, this is kind of true, but kind of not true. We all want to be heard, right? So when we're giving our friends advice, when we're in the advice-giving um, position, we want to be heard. We're like, oh, we know what we're talking about. We've had the experience. Trust me, I'm telling you, if you do this, Right? We all give the advice thinking that we actually know better. But the truth is, do you actually know better? Depends what you're giving advice over. But we never, guys, should just blindly listen to our mates. I understand, I understand our friends want to be heard. I understand that as a friend, I want to be heard. But the truth is, is that we should never just blindly take our friends' advice because they fucking care about us. Yes, they care about us. And it doesn't mean that their advice is going to be deliberately bad. But they're giving, they're giving you the advice thinking that they're, they're true. Thinking that they know what is best for you. But you don't have to take it. Or you can actually take it with a pinch of bloody salt. But when we just blindly take the advice because, oh, our friends know better, well, I'm all emotional and they're not, so they can actually see things clearer. Yes, actually, that is somewhat true 1,000%. When you're emotional and you're making a decision based on your emotion, don't do it. You're actually probably better off listening to someone else that is emotionally sober, quote unquote. But, but, if you are emotionally sober and you hear the advice and it actually doesn't resonate, you don't have to be dismissive and tell them, well, I ain't listening to that. You can say, thank you for the advice, but it actually doesn't resonate. I'm going to go over and do this. Now, the problem lies. I get it. I know what you're thinking right now at home as you're listening to this. The problem lies is when your friend gives you advice, you don't take it and then they will write. And then you do it again. Let's just say the obvious one, right? A, a, a partner, a, a guy, let's just say. You go, you're together with this guy and you love him. You tell your friend that you love him and then he does something shitty and you break up with him. Your friend's like, see, he's no good. I can't believe he treated you like that. And you're like, I know, I can't believe it either. And then he makes it up. He buys you flowers. He sends you a lovely text message. He does something or she does something that makes you want to try it again. So you're like, yeah, I know. I know that you said that and I know that you were right and I know that that happened, but I really love him and I'm going to try it again. Now, you do that three or four times, whether you're the actual friend doing it with the guy or the partner, or whether you're the friend listening that is like, oh my God, again, I've given you, like literally I've told you seven times why he's freaking toxic and you're not listening. So then the friend gets more elevated, the friend gets even more annoyed, and then you either have this collision where the friend doesn't feel listened to, 
but you still keep going to them for advice, and now they're just like, I'm fucking wasting my time. Or you're just like, they're just a Debbie Downer. Every time I go to my friend for advice, all they keep saying is leave them. So you can see why this, like, if you're in high school, you listen to people, you listen to people that you trust, it's kind of convoluted because it's kind of true and it's kind of not. So the biggest takeaway and the biggest tip to this one specific thing is, it's just because they're your friend, it doesn't mean that they're the expert. So take your friend for what they are. If you're asking them about advice and it's a relationship advice, and let's say you come to me who's been married for 20 years, I think that my advice can be pretty sound because I've got the experience. But if you come to me and you ask me about dating, I don't freaking know. I haven't been on a date in 20 years. So you can see why asking friend for advice is one thing, but taking their advice as truth or a pinch of salt is a completely different ball game. Now, how you approach it so that your friend doesn't feel like they're being dismissed is also important. So if you ask, if you as the, as you as the person ask your friend for the advice, you have to go in there knowing they want to help you. That's the hope, right? And you've got to go in there knowing and ask yourself before you even ask them, actually, are they an expert in this field? If not, why am I asking for their advice in the first place? Because here's the tricky thing, guys. I'm just going to fucking say the truth. You're asking sometimes because you want to feel better about yourself. They may have zero expertise in this area. But you know, if I ask for this, if I ask my friend for this advice, they're going to tell me everything I want to hear. That's the last thing that you need to do to figure out whether you should be going to them in the first place. Do they have expertise in this area? Yes or no? And now at least when you go to your friend for advice, you can actually take it for what it is. But it doesn't mean that you have to blindly follow it. Nice girls don't show their emotions. Guys, we've been told this since we were like in our mother's wombs, I think. Oh, you can't show your emotion. Oh, if you show your emotion, oh my God, you're overly emotional. Say what? Like literally by showing an emotion, all of a sudden we get labeled as overly emotional. That's such freaking horseshit. But now here's the other side to it, guys. Sometimes we do get overly emotional. Sometimes we absolutely take things way above and beyond which where they really were. Let's just call a spade a spade. So there's going to be nuance to this. I actually think holding back your emotions is the biggest detrimental thing you can possibly do. Because trust me, just like hay on a horse's back, on a donkey's back, there will be the time that that last straw will break it. There'll be a time where if you do not address your emotions, you will break. And so we wanna make sure that we don't get to that point because once we've gotten to that point, guys, I kinda liken it, so I call it like emotionally sober. I kinda like it to drinking. If you ever had one or too many drinks um, and then wake up the next day and you're like, oh God, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, maybe I should have danced on the table. Those are things where maybe you've had one or too many shots and you've acted not in accordance to who you really are. It's like emotions. Sometimes maybe you take one too many shots of anger, maybe one too many shots of frustration. And then what you end up finding is you get drunk with emotion, quote unquote, and then you act in a way that doesn't align with who you actually are. You say things that maybe you regret. You do things that maybe you regret. So, I'm gonna take these two as separate things. 
So I don't want to bullshit and say, guys, you should be emotional. Let it all hang out. No, 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 no. If you want a healthy relationship, if you want to fucking crush it in your business, if you want to be a good friend, you cannot just let your emotions run wild with you. Because like I just said, there will be times that you've just taken it too far. And you may not want to, you may not have meant to, but sometimes that is just human nature. So I go, cool, if this is just human nature, how do I counterbalance it? Because I realize it doesn't serve me. All right, so number one is knowing that we should express our emotions from the get-go. For me, it's the accumulation of not expressing my emotions that ends up leaving me completely emotionally drunk. So I've just learned that about me, which means that I have to start identifying when that first piece of emotion happens and I've smothered it because I've been told that I can't be showing my emotion. So I have to start tapping in. So guys, I want you to go backwards. Think about the time of the last time you lost your shit with emotion and that you wish you hadn't. Now backtrack, 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 backtrack. What was that first time or that first sign that you could identify, that you're like, you know what, if I'd just spoken up here, if I just said, you know what, I don't want to go to that place. And then all of a sudden, you, before you know it, you're on a two week vacation with your in-laws. <laughs> maybe if I just said it over here, when I felt the emotion of like concern, maybe if I just said it over here, maybe I'd be fine. Okay, backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. It's all about guys, backtracking to identify what was that first moment where I didn't express my emotions that only if I did it wouldn't have led to the turmoil and the emotional um, uh, lead to the emotional turmoil that it ended up maybe being so backtracking is going to be very important now how do you address your emotion are you screaming and shouting or are you being calm are you being articulate because that's the next thing, guys. Again, I'm not saying don't feel them. But when you come at anyone, anyone with aggression or um, frustration, human nature, human nature is to put a wall up because you don't like it when someone's coming at you. So what is the goal? Do you want to be heard? Because if the answer is yes, now you know your goal. And now you just have to ask yourself, how do I get my emotion and what I'm going through acknowledged? If I shout and scream, do you think that's gonna work? If I go up to someone and articulate it slowly, do you think that's gonna work? So guys, when you're having one of those moments where you're feeling emotional, it is important to acknowledge it. Is it important to ask yourself, why am I having this emotion right now? Because when you bottle it up, it's only, like I said, going to stack one after another after another. So for me, I actually ask myself, why am I feeling like this? Because here's the thing, sometimes it may be hormones. Sometimes you might just be hungry. But sometimes that emotion, that feeling is so rooted in you that you have to articulate it. Oh, I'm feeling emotional right now because I've just been triggered. Like my husband just said something that actually triggered something from my childhood that when I was 16. Okay, that's okay. Understanding where it's coming from is okay, guys. But you have to understand where it comes from. 
So you can then articulate it. So this is exactly what I did with my husband. I used to just swallow it. So at least you're being emotional. You're being emotional that you were triggered. So I used to just swallow it. You're being emotional because I don't want to be emotional. I used to think that being emotional was a bad thing. So I would um, quieten myself. You're just being emotional, Lisa. You're just being emotional. And then what I realized was over time, me saying that to myself time and time again, just ends up me losing my shit because I've tried to justify the whole way. Ignore it, Lisa, you're being emotional, you're being emotional. And then what happens? I erupt. You end up getting to a breaking point. We all bloody do. And I realize in my sober moments like now, I don't want to get to this breaking point. So what I started to do is started to assess if you backtrack and you identify that one first moment that you had that one first emotion, now identify where it comes from and why. So for me, it's I get triggered when I don't feel smart. Like I, as a kid, um, was the younger one. And so my brother and my sister fucking whip it smart at math and, you know, science and all of that. And so they would like, bam, 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 bam. Like at dinner time, my dad would throw out maths quizzes and I'd be like, uh, 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 because I'm mildly dyslexic. I get my B's and my D's and my G's and my J's mixed up. So I start to panic. So now as an adult, as an adult in my 40s, when someone, um, when I start to feel triggered, I've identified, when I start to feel the emotion of like, oh my God, am I really stupid? Oh my God, I don't get this. Oh my God, I feel insecure. That's all emotion. I've unwound it. I figured out where it's come from. And now I recognize it's from triggers from childhood. So what do I do? I don't just freaking accept it. I don't just say, well, that's me. You're going to have to deal with it. Don't you dare shut me down. These are my emotions. I should be able to speak my emotions. Guys, do you want to be closer to the person that you're being emotional with? Or do you want to be apart from them? Like, do you want to distance yourself? That's a choice. I choose that if I get emotional, to be honest with anyone, I want to get closer to them. Now, look, of course, I'm not saying a total stranger. I may not uh, um, tell them my trigger, even though I just told the camera and <laughs> the entire world. Um, but, I, but I may not in that moment be very open, but I still know where it comes from. I still understand my emotions. I understand where it comes from, I understand why, and now what it does, guys, is it allows me to work on it. I'm always trying to grow. I never just accept my inadequacies as inadequacies. I go, how am I gonna get better? So this doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve me to allow myself to get triggered in any situation where I know it's from childhood that is happening. It's the old belief system that I have. So in moments like that, I have to work through it. Now, when it comes to my husband and a relationship, I'm honest with him. So literally, I, we went through this whole process where I was getting triggered because he would say something. He would say it in a way, I would get triggered. I'd be taken back to my childhood. I would start to get emotional. Like, oh, I can't believe you said that to me. And he's like, what the fuck is happening right now? You were just like so stoic and like you were, we were just in a business meeting. And now like you're getting all emotional for something that I don't even realize what's happened. So I realized that emotion doesn't serve me to just let it run wild. But the emotion itself does. Identifying the emotion does serve me. It allows me to get better. It allows me to get over my triggers. It allows me to get closer with my husband because I can now say to him, baby, I know you love me and I know that you don't mean to trigger me. But right now when you say X, Y, and Z, it does. Now here's the other thing. I never just leave it at that, guys, because I fucking own my trigger. So what do I do? Is I literally say to him, I recognize this is my trigger, I'm working on it. Until I figured it out, until I'm over it, until I'm no longer emotionally triggered by this phrase, by this saying or whatever, as my partner, would you mind doing X, Y, and Z? 
And now what happens is it brings you closer. He feels like he's being useful. He knows that you're trying to work on this emotional trigger that doesn't serve you, but he still hears your emotions. And that, guys, is how on earth you can show up every freaking day and show your emotion, and yet at the same time not, let you, not allow your emotion to freaking run wild with you, so now people just dismiss you. That's the freaking truth. If you allow your emotions to run riot, whether you like it or not, I'm not here to say. The truth freaking is that people may start to dismiss you. And so now you have to ask, do you want to be dismissed? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then literally do that tactic I've just laid out right now. Go back, freaking rewind and redo it. But that is how you can own your emotion. You can show up owning your emotion. And at the same time, you have the clarity and to recognize that sometimes your emotions don't serve you, that sometimes you're emotionally drunk, sometimes you're emotionally not sober. And that's okay. Because if you're able to progressively make it better, then that, my homie, is how you freaking own your shit and how you can say, screw you, nice girl, I'm going to show my emotion and I'm going to show you how it's freaking done. Nice girls don't disagree. Basically, they're saying you don't speak your mind because the truth is you're never going to agree with everybody. So can you imagine if half the freaking population of the world Women were told, you don't disagree. Oh my God, could you imagine what world we'd live in? I know a world I want to be in. So you can understand why the fact that we're saying nice girls don't disagree is so freaking detrimental to us. What are we doing? Okay, so now we all go, this is bullshit. How the hell do we actually disagree? Now, I think one of the problems, at least for me, I'm just going to be honest, at least for me is I wasn't secure in myself. So when I would disagree, I would come in like a bull in a china shop. I would literally shut people down because I didn't want to hear a rebuttal. I just about had the courage and the confidence to disagree with someone, let alone bloody hearing their rebuttal. Because to me, I couldn't discuss it. I could only say, I don't agree, just to get it out. Now, what does that do? You say your opinion, but now you're shutting someone else down. You literally don't want to hear, if you say you disagree, you don't want to hear their rebuttal too. That makes you do the same thing that people are doing to us. You're trying to shut them down. So we don't want to do that. But how on earth can you disagree? Now there's going to be different moments. There's going to be moments where you're, just going to, you're actually going to have to shut someone down because they're bloody rude to you. And the only way for you to have your own freaking back is to disagree with them. If that causes, if that comes to it, homie, do it. If someone is disrespecting you, I will absolutely say, I disagree with you. And please do not talk to me like that. Now, I try not to ever do that, but you can understand there's going to be levels of disagreement. It's like one of those thermometer charts, guys. Like, in fact, bing, those thermometer charts where it starts to rise up, right? Where you're like, there's certain levels. If you disagree up here, you can imagine it's very fucking hot. That's where you're like, fuck you. I disagree. I never want to hear from you again. But let's face it, you can't do one of those thermometer charts and always disagree with someone at that height because people are just going to see you as um, dismissive, as disagreeable, as someone that doesn't want a conversation. And again, the whole point of this is for not us to stand up and shut other people down, but it's for us to be able to freaking stand up. 
So there are ways to disagree. So there's one. If someone is just blatantly disrespecting you, I'm just going to be honest and tell them, I disagree with you. Please do not talk to me like that. You aren't being polite. I do not want any part of this conversation. So those are very harsh, very strong, very um, clear lines. Now, if you're disagreeing with a partner, you have to actually look at what you're disagreeing over. Because sometimes, guys, we want to trick ourselves into thinking one way is right and one way is wrong. Like, as a little example, my husband hates tidying. Now, when we first started, I, I'm a tidy freak. So you can imagine when we first came together, I totally dismissed him. I acted like his idea was so wrong. Like, how the hell can you live in a messy house? I was like, there, there clearly, guys, is a right and wrong answer here. People want to live in a clean house. No one wants to live in a messy house. How the hell? So I was disagreeing with him, but I was almost putting him down. Like, when I think about it, I was kind of, in fact, not putting him down. I was judging his decision. I was judging the fact that he thought that a house should just be messy. So that's actually one thing that's really careful. Like, if you're disagreeing with them, be careful of how you're actually saying it as well and how you're shutting them down because maybe it's just a matter of opinion. That is a matter of opinion. That really is. Now, I think my opinion is a better opinion, but um, it's still his opinion. So I had to learn that what I was disagreeing over may just be a matter of opinion. It may not be right or wrong. Even if you actually have to ask yourself this, guys, I don't want to get into politics, but here's a great example. I believed in God, I was brought up Greek Orthodox, until my husband one day, on one of our first dates, turns around to me and goes, why do you believe in God? And I was like, because my dad told me to. Like, that was my answer. So, um, I was blindly disagreeing with other people without actually hearing them through because I had the belief system that was told to me by my parents, my ancestors, and etc. So, again, I don't want to get into, like, religion or anything like that, but I just hopefully you understand where our opinions can come in that to us may seem right or wrong. And my husband, who didn't believe in God, I was just like, huh? Like, it, I so thought he was wrong. Like, I so just judged him in that moment. But now I know better. It's a, it's a belief system. He didn't believe in God. I did. And so when you're disagreeing with someone, you have to be very freaking careful. And this is nuance, guys, but I'm telling you, if you really want a close relationship, you have to pay attention to the nuance. So guys, when you're approaching a situation like that, don't just go straight into they are wrong and I disagree with them and this is why. Maybe they're not wrong. You can disagree, but it doesn't make them wrong. So that's an important part to remember. Hold on to that. That will literally save relationships. Now, when you disagree, you have to be able to articulate why you disagree. Because if you can't articulate it, then you haven't quite figured it out yourself. And that's okay. So many of us, sometimes we just get that feeling, right? Where we're like, it doesn't feel right. It always sounds it doesn't feel right. And then you're just like, I disagree. But have you actually identified why? If you haven't, start to notice, okay, this uncomfortableness that I'm feeling is an indication, is one of those flags, guys, that we need to pay attention to that we now pay attention to then trigger us to ask ourselves why. If you can't articulate it, you don't understand yourself yet, that's fine, but then you shouldn't speak up. Because if you're saying you disagree with someone, you have to be able to back it up. You have to be able to say why. It doesn't mean the other person's wrong, it doesn't mean that you're pushing the other person down, but no, but you have to be able to articulate it. So that's the second, know thyself. And again, this is gonna be a practice. 
So you have to understand why you disagree, you have to be able to articulate it, and then you have to be open to getting to maybe the right answer. Because that's the thing. Just keep using a relationship or business. If you both have the same goal, if you both want to have a beautiful relationship or in business, if you both want to, in your company, um, build a business that has a million followers, whatever that goal is, if you're both aligned on it, your disagreement on how to get there should be heard by both parties because you're both aligned. So with me and my husband, if he says something that I disagree, I want to understand myself. I want to understand why. Because I have to articulate to him because if he can hear it in a way that I can articulate, then he adjusts his behavior, then we get realigned, and now, again, we both have a beautiful relationship. But if I'm just disagreeing blindly, he doesn't understand why, I'm just pushing because it's purely emotional, you can understand why you never get on the same page because you, you guys are speaking different languages. I'm, he's speaking English, I'm speaking Greek, and we're literally just passing each other. So that's also the other thing. Identify why you disagree, and don't make it fact that they're wrong. Make, you can make it fact that you believe in it, but it's not fact for them. So that's the second thing. Now, the last thing that I have with me and my husband is if I disagree, no matter what it is, let's say for instance, we're gonna do something in our relationship and it's like, my husband says, you know what, babe? Um, I just wanna have date night every three months. I disagree. I think we should have date night every month at least. Now, there's a simple disagreement there. All right, so he's gonna tell me why he thinks. He's gonna say, babe, because you know we're really busy and I'm always feeling the love from you. Every single morning you give me a kiss hello and I actually don't need to have date night every month. I'm very content in our relationship by having it every three months. Okay, that's his opinion. He needs to be heard just like you wanna be heard. Homie, don't make the mistake. Do not freaking make the mistake that just because we wanna be heard, it means that we shut other people down. If you wanna be heard, you have gotta give the grace to that other person. You have gotta give the grace to your friend. You have gotta give the grace to your business partner. You have gotta give the grace to your work colleague. You have gotta give the grace to your, your husband, your wife. So give them the grace to tell you their opinion and now you rebuttal it. So now I've heard my husband. All right, I've heard why he thinks and now I'm gonna say what I think, why I disagree, and why I think we should actually have it every month. And so we sit down, it's like, babe, I understand. For you, maybe you feel the connection every three months, and maybe you don't need to date with me every month. I actually understand and accept it. Right, now he feels heard. Now he feels like he's part of the conversation. And then I will say, but I disagree. And I disagree because of X, Y, and Z. I have to be able to articulate it. I have to be able to say why. Now, here's the tricky part. Maybe he's like, all right, I hear you. I hear why you want date night every month, but I disagree. And now it's just a matter of opinion. You both disagree. What do you do? The great news is if you're both aligned, if you both actually want to have a beautiful relationship in that moment, you go, okay, cool. Do we agree that we want to have a beautiful relationship, a long-term loving, beautiful relationship? And you both actually have to say yes. You cannot just be like, oh, well, of course. Well, of co what kind of question is that? No, no. You have to say, I just need to hear it. Do you agree? Yes or no? Do I agree? Yes or no? Okay, we both agree that this is the relationship we want. Now, collectively, how do we get there together? I totally understand, babe, you only need the three months. Great, now you get what you want, but I start to feel neglected. I don't start to feel the con connection with you. I actually start to feel distance from you. And so can we agree that if this is our goal, for us to both feel connected, and for me, whether you agree of whether I should or not, the reality is I need it. 
I'm not even gonna fucking argue about shoulds, shouldn'ts, none of that. I don't even get into those arguments, guys. I just go, but I need it. And so the question is, as my love, as my husband, as my light, if we want to both connect and both feel connected, this is how I need you to show up. And so he can agree in that moment and now you can get aligned. So the point being on this one, guys, is that you absolutely can disagree. You should absolutely speak your mind you do not have to back down. So you, if you disagree, by golly, you stick to it, homie. But also, the other caveat I dropped earlier is if you want to have a long-lasting relationship, a long-lasting um, career, whatever it is, if the goal is that you want that long-lasting relationship, you're going to be willing and open to changing your behavior to get there. So that's the thing, it's like, okay, if we need to get to this and I need date night every single week, can we do it so that we can be aligned on the relationship we both want? Now, if the other person's like, no, there's no way I'm gonna do that, okay. Maybe they don't understand. Maybe you have to repeat it. Maybe you have to articulate it in a better way. That doesn't mean that you freaking shut down. That doesn't mean that you don't now say whether you agree or not, but it just means maybe you haven't been clear yet. And you have to be honest about that. Now, the last thing, the very last thing I'm going to say is actually on this cleaning issue. Because the amount of people that I hear have these same arguments is crazy. So um, the cleaning issue, my husband still disagreed, right? It's like he needs, he doesn't care. He actually prioritizes um, time management than he does a clean environment. So for him, any second he's cleaning, he's not able to be productive in his business. So for him, this is actually a collision of values. Like to him, it's not just about the effort, it's about that it, it collides with what he sees as more important. Now in this situation, I've said my PC says his, what do you do? You can come to a standstill, which won't serve you. What ends up happening? You end up winding each other up and then you build resentment. And resentment guys is the, one of the four um, horses of the apocalypse. I'm telling you, Resentment will fracture and break your relationship and you will literally be like, I don't understand what just happened. So you've got to be aware that that will be the stacking brick that may end up being him resenting you or your partner resenting you. So you have to acknowledge when you disagree and then you have to come up with a solution. You cannot move on and say, Look, let's just agree to disagree. Dude, it won't fucking work. It won't work. So you have to not agree to disagree in this situation because you're just going to be rubbing each other the wrong way the whole time. You come up with a way where you both feel heard. So what we ended up doing is I gave my husband a box and I was like, babe, put all your shit in this box. This box is going to put here right next to your bed and all the shit that you have lying around where you don't want to think about, you don't want to pick up, just throw it in the box. And now you know exactly where it is and now I don't have to see all of your crap. And we agree and he's like, all right, that actually seems fair. So we came up with a solution based on our belief system that guys, you don't, you may be dismissing as silly, but I'm freaking telling you, these are the moments that end up becoming the fracture that breaks your relationship or your career or your friendship because you haven't been able to disagree with freaking grace. So that's what I'm freaking talking about. Disagree, say your opinion. And if it's someone you want to get closer with, how on earth you do it with grace, that's how my friend, that is how. Guys, if this episode was fire for you, here's another snippet of my conversation with psychologist Dr. Shafali, where she debunks the five biggest myths about love. Check it out. 
take me down these debunking. So I want to start with love and then I'd love to debunk it and then say how we can then think about it in a different way. Yes. So this whole idea of falling in love is really lunacy. You shouldn't fall. You know, I always say, don't fall. Please just be on your feet and be solid in your center. Mm. But we've been sold this ro romantic, you know, this princess Pollyanna fantasy of you fall. Mm -hmm. Where are you falling? <laughs> you know, you're falling into craziness. Anyway, say you fall into love. The first year, at least, by now when you're an adult, you know that you're not even showing up as your true self. You're showing up as the mask you've been wearing. So you're really falling in love with the idea that someone loves you. So you're falling in love with an idea which is coming from an emptiness. Then we don't stop there. We all know that love for the most part, when it is like this, you know, do you love me? Do you see me? Do you want me? It's all about me. It's all about my emptiness. And it's a transaction. Because the minute that person looks to the other one, we're like, I hate you. Mm. <laughs> and we're like, what happened to, my to the love? Because we are conditional beings. We are highly transactional. So love is a transaction. It's a bartering exchange system. You give me this, I give you this. And when that falls apart, the whole relationship falls apart. Yeah. And then there's an agenda to love. Now you have to get married, right? So there's a goal, mm -hmm. there's a finite quality. It is defined in a very prescribed way. The ring, the engagement, the marriage, and women especially are trained, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, that if the partner does not give you a ring and doesn't propose and doesn't commit, there is no love. That's not true love. And how are you equating true love with a goal? <laughs> right? So love is very much uh, an, an idea, an agenda. It is something that uh, we have bought into as a fantasy. And most of us have conditional love. I say this about parents and children. You know, it's not really unconditional. We're falling in love with the other's ego that falls in love with our ego. And then after two years, when we finally show up with our inner child, the other one panics because they're like, I thought you would be my mother. And the other one is like, I thought you'd be my father. Mm -hmm. And they both have fallen apart because he, they're both wounded from inside. Why do you think it's so important that people, because I actually completely agree with the, everything you're saying, but people like the idea of unconditional love, but conditional love is very healthy. Right. So in my relationship, I say to my, I don't have unconditional love for my husband. If he ever beats me or if he ever cheats yes. on me, he's gone. Yes. And so to me, that's healthy. Right, it's such a delusion to act as if we have unconditional love. Right. Now, you could still love his essence, right. but in the working relationship, there are conditions. Mm -hmm. But we're acting like there are no conditions, mm -hmm. yet it's full of conditions. Mm -hmm. And so when the condition shows up, we don't know how to work through them, right? Yeah. Then it's a betrayal. But it was always there. The condition is always there. And there should be conditions. Those are called boundaries. Mm -hmm. Those are called, you know, my standards, what I need. And we should flour flourish ourselves with conditions that allow us to blossom. Mm. Yeah. Um, why don't you think we allow ourselves then? Because we've been sold this romantic idea of unconditional love. And if we don't have that or we don't prescribe to that, then, then what kind of love, right? right. Then it scares us 
to create these negotiations, these conditions, which are actually healthy mm -hmm. because they're honest, they're authentic. But we don't believe that's love. That takes away from the romance. And that, I love that you said that because I think that we get caught up in the romance yes. and forget what the romance is supposed to be a part of. Right. What is the romance supposed to be a part of? It's supposed to be the part of two humans seeking deeper connection and intimacy. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean possession, mm -hmm. right? That doesn't mean I own you and you better do what I want. How is that love, right? So love in its essence is a free emotion mm -hmm. and we've bottled it into a prescription but true love is freedom that's how the parent can best love their children that's how we can best love our girlfriends and our boyfriends and the best way we can love our intimate partners but when it comes to intimate partners because there's so many so many stereotypes we really begin to think that the intimate partner belongs to us mm. yeah god i love that and as you were talking it really has been set up you know with let's say movies growing up on Disney films, the right. princess story that you wait to be saved. Right. Um, and, you know, the happily ever after. Yeah. And I kind of joke and say, I'm happily ever working on my relationship. Yes. You know, because it's, if you think that there's going to be this happy ending, then I think it means that you then don't push or work for it. And then there's a surprise where you're like, huh, this isn't the fairy tale that I was prescribed Right. to at the beginning right. when I was a child. Right, and that's where the fairy tale ends when the real relationship begins. Oh. You know, because they don't talk about the next pages, which is a deep commitment to growth. But if both are not committed to growth and working on themselves and improving and evolving, then that's when the relationship can become toxic and dysfunctional mm -hmm. and deaden, you know? But nobody talks about that. It's, it's work as in inner work, mm -hmm. right? The relationship should be aligned, both should be a match for each other. They should both want to grow. And all of that comes from inner work. Mm -hmm. But people don't want to do the inner work that it takes to be in a deeply connected relationship. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. Okay. And I want to go to the next one then that really hit me, which is motherhood. Yeah. So I grew up Greek Orthodox, thought I was going to have four kids, massive family. I then find myself, realize I love business. And then I go from being married for over 10 years saying to Tom, hey, when are we going to have kids? When are we going to have kids? To saying, I don't want children anymore. Um, and the backlash and the um, societal pressures and judgment on my decision wow. was really hard and really struggled. And so I'd love to just go deep yeah, on- But I have a question. So Please. how did you come to that decision? And I think that's so helpful for so many, you're gonna say it better than me, mm -hmm. because women should have the choice to choose motherhood or not. Just because your biology allows you to be a mother doesn't mean you need to be a mother and you're always mothering anyway. But you chose not to actively bear children. So tell us, I'm gonna interview yeah. <laughs> tell us about that choice because that's what women need to allow themselves to weigh that option for themselves. And thank you so much for saying that because the lie I told myself and I had was if I choose not to have children, then I'm not motherly. Yes. See? And that held me back from saying out loud I didn't want to be a mother yes. because it didn't compute with how I felt. Yes. Because part of me is like, but I love taking care of I'm people. I'm taking care of everyone all yeah, the time. Yeah. Yes. But because I choose not to bear a child. Yes, there's a big distinction between biologically bearing a child mm -hmm. and being a mother. Mm -hmm. You are a mother. 
you know, and you hold that principle. But anyway, so tell me, so how did you come, to, like, if you went from the condition lie, mm -hmm. did you wake up one morning? Oh, so no. So I was supporting my husband for eight years. He was going to work every day. We had agreed that he was going to go be an entrepreneur, make enough money for us to come together and make movies. That was the goal. So I was like, oh, babe, I'll support you. You go out and work. I'll do everything else. And we're a team. Mm -hmm. It would just take 12 months. Yeah. Just 12 months. Yeah. Of course, 12 months it yeah. never existed. And it ended up being eight years. Right. And so what happened was the first year, I'm, I'm supporting. It's a team. By year five, forgot totally about who I was, what the goal was. By year eight, mm -hmm. I was needing something to fill my life because mm -hmm. I had lost myself mm -hmm. so completely. Mm -hmm. And so by then, I was like, we need children. When are we going to have kids? I'm Greek. I've been married for a long time. I'm getting people to ask me. And then one day, I'll cut the story short, Tom came home. He's like, we want to start a new protein bar company. Do you mind just helping? Well, I'm the great supportive wife. Right. Of course I'll help, babe. Right. So rolling pins, knives, right. I'll ship from my living room floor. Right. I'm a great supportive wife. Right. But what we didn't expect was that protein bar would turn into Bequest, mm -hmm. that would grow at 57,000%. Mm -hmm. That me shipping from my living room floor within two years took me to building an entire shipping department, 40 employees. And mm -hmm. in that process where I knew nothing, I didn't know what I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I was falling every single day on my face, facing my inadequacies every single day, but our house was on the line. And I prided myself of being a good wife. Mm -hmm. So every day that I stumbled, every day I didn't know what I was doing, I had two things. Save your house, be a good wife. Mm -hmm. Save your house, be a good wife. Mm -hmm. Now, in that process, I started to find me. Mm -hmm. I started to see what I was capable of. Mm -hmm. I started to be on fire. I no, no longer waited for Tom to come home and make me feel mm -hmm. a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, like, I love this. Mm -hmm. And then every day... Every day was just a little chip of, I'm really loving this. And then I started to feel guilty right. that I no longer felt like I wanted children, that I no longer was right. thinking. It was the furthest thing from my mind. Right. So because of that, I then opened up the discussion with right. Tom, talking to him about how good I was loving my life. Yeah. And I didn't know if I wanted children anymore. And I was worried about getting judged right. for it. And at the end of the day, we have a very open communication. And right. he just said, look, what kind of husband would I be? seeing how happy you are now right. and try and take that away from you. Right. And so in that process, I kind of just looked at my life, looked at what, how I say is, what does an average Wednesday look like? Mm -hmm. Because I think we can get caught up in the feeling of being pregnant. I know I can at least. Mm -hmm. Get caught up in the feeling of being pregnant. Mm -hmm. Get caught up in the feeling of having that child the day it's born, mm -hmm. celebrating its birthday. I can get caught up in that, and I know I can. Mm -hmm. I can even get caught up in seeing a little Tom run around like with his ears. Oh, my God, I would lose my mind, Dr. Shafali. So I can convince myself all the reasons why I would love having a child. Right. And then I just ask, what does a Wednesday look like? Right. And the truth is, I love working. I love grinding. I love going hard. Yeah. And so that was how I came to the conclusion. But then it took me over a year sure. for me and Tom deciding to say it out loud. Yeah. Because I did get hate. I actually, I got someone saying, you were so selfish. selfish. Yes. Imagine your parents never had you. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't yeah, be great. here to have to yeah, judge yeah. on I it. Be, I wouldn't be imagining. <laughs> exactly. So I got yeah. so much backlash, yeah. so much hate. And it really, because I'm just stubborn enough, it didn't stop me. But that's why I really love that you address motherhood and in And look book. what pressure women have to go through. Mm. You had to go through internal agony to just say, mm, not for me. 
right? You were judged, you were shamed, you yourself had a great crisis of yourself. Like, who am I? Am I really a selfish person? Am I not motherly, right? So this is what I mean, that, that just because we can biologically bear children, we have been sold the lie that our goodness, our caring, our mothering comes to rely on whether we actually physically bear children. It's a lie, they're not even connected. So that was a lot of working through and we women deserve to not have to work through so much. Mm. So I'm offering women the permission to understand that you don't have to be a mother. But then I also talk about how mothers don't have to identify with being mothers either. Oh yeah, let's talk more about yeah, that. Because you know, I'm a mother mm -hmm. and I've seen how crazy we mothers are mm -hmm. and drive our children crazy because now we identify with the actual mother-child relationship. Mm -hmm. And we make that our PhD, our career, our relationship, our lover. Mm. We fulfill our needs through the mother-child or parent-child relationship. And the child becomes that object that we use to fulfill our inner needs. So I teach mothers to release that identity, to find your own wholeness through your child. You can't find your wholeness through your child. So stop trying to make your child the perfect child because you want to be the perfect person. Stop trying to make your child the competent one because you feel incompetent. So motherhood has a lot of pressure. Once you become a mother, oh my God, the pressure on that mother to be the perfect mother, to raise the perfect child. And that's what I help mothers also release from, that there is no such thing as a perfect mother and there is no perfect child. So stop identifying as the perfect mother because you will drive yourself and your kid crazy. So that's what happens to us. We get so tethered to that identity mm -hmm. that not having it freaks us out. We're terrified. Yeah. yeah. So how do we start breaking that then so that we don't pass it on to our children and our children's children? Well, it's through the process of wisening up to understand that culture has sold us a lie. It's not true. It's not true. The whole idea around motherhood, for example, or that my goodness comes from mothering is a lie. The two are not connected. So we have to do this dismantling process. Right, how do you for do ourselves. that? Yeah. Well, books like this will help you to get the permission. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember one mother said to me, she was so grateful because I gave her the permission, you won't believe what I gave her permission for to not give her kid breakfast in the morning because the kid wanted to eat only after like one or two. Her, her, the kid's palate was not opening. You know how sometimes mm -hmm. not a morning person? The mother tortured herself to serve the best breakfast. Now, this is so simple. People need permission. So books like this give you permission to have a paradigm shift. You know, once I told her, who said we need to eat breakfast? F the breakfast. She's like, really? Really? I can F the breakfast? Okay. That's yeah. so amazing. So you needed permission to go F motherhood. Yeah. You don't need it. Yeah. You're full, you're complete, you're whole. Or for somebody else, it could be F marriage, mm. right? We need the permission to believe that there are other options so that we can still feel worthy without what culture has told us. So culture has really... Uh, curated us into a, you know, museum piece. You know, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Mm -hmm. And these prescriptions become nooses around our neck. Look what happened to you. You suffered so much around this one fundamental decision. So if you had just released the pressure 
that everyone was putting on you that you had to make a decision right now, you know? Yes. Plus, a lot of people say, you know, society is your purpose is to have children, yes. your entire purpose in life. Right. And even to the point where I was very confident, I decided I'm not going to have kids, I knew it, I'd said it out loud, I, you know, really believed in it. And I go to the doctors because I hadn't had a period in 10 years. And I kept going to the doctors, finally went to the doctors, I was like, like please do scan something, like something's wrong. Right. So they do, and they find that I have polycystic ovary syndrome. And so the doctor comes in, she comes in with a little notepad, and she looks at me and she's like, Okay, so yeah, we actually sound, found some cysts on your, you know, ovaries and blah, blah, blah. You, have, you haven't had a period in a while. And she lies, oh, but you don't want children. Is that correct? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, well, then you're fine. No worries. Come back next year. Okay. And I was like, I'm sorry. I have a health condition. But because my ovaries aren't going to have children, then, I, then who cares if my body's still in disarray? Right. Like, I was so horrified, yes. Dr. Shafali, yes. by this is a professional. Yes. Now, when you think about those small little things that are dripping on us women every day... Every single day. I only have one daughter. Look how I even just said. I just said I only have. Right, right, right. Because I feel I'm supposed to be saying sorry. Again, right. to whom? I had one child. I was told, oh, you only have one. So I began saying, I only have one. Mm -hmm. Like I felt embarrassed, ashamed. Mm -hmm. Now I should have two at least because that's a happy family. Mm -hmm. Then once we have the child, we have to spring back into our pre-natal <laughs> bodies. And now that's healthy. I mean, and then we have to go back to work and then we have to breastfeed for 10 years and then we have to make cookies and drop them off at school walking in a, you know, it's like so much pressure now. Life isn't simple as it could be. And part of our lack of simplicity, part of our complexity, is because we believe belief systems that are not true. Yeah. That's why I love it, because you really do break all those down. And I think it's really important to debunk them, realize that the way that you're thinking like is holding the noose around your neck. Yes. I really love that metaphor, yes. by the way. And then just going, okay, so now what do I want to be? Who do I want to yes. be? Because the second I started to break myself of that yeah. with, okay, all society keeps telling me people are saying I'm selfish, but like I'm not a good wife because yes. I'm not providing for my husband yes. anymore. I'm not cooking for him. Right. So I was like, hang on. Like once I started to build my own self-esteem, my own confidence, I stopped and I was like, what does a good wife look like to me? Yes. Like to Lisa Bilyeu, what does a good wife look like? Yes. And it's like to have my, to, if my husband actually said these words, I need you, that I would be there. Yeah. But he doesn't abuse it. I don't abuse it with him. We right. say it maybe once a year, right. you know, and that if he knows, like if he wants support, I'm going to be there for him. But just like if I want support, he's going to be there for me. And also I have some traditional things inside. I love cooking for him. Mm -hmm. I hate doing on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. but I like seeing him, like the smile he gets. Mm -hmm. So every Saturday, I cook for him. Mm -hmm. And that's my balance. Monday to Friday, you're on your own. Right. You have to clean, you have to do your own food, right. you have to get your own clothes. But on Saturday, for my own sake, yeah. for what I value right. in being a wife to my husband, right. it is providing a meal for him. Right, you decided, you came to the place of redefining it. Maybe you would have said, oh, I can only cook seven times for you. I want to cook 14 times. You can go that way, exactly. you can go this way. But the fact is that you discerned it for yourself mm -hmm. and you deconstructed what does it mean for me. Not what culture decides is good, what I decide is authentic, real for Lisa. And that's what we want women to do through this book is here's the process by which you were 
fooled or seduced or lied to. Mm -hmm. Now here are the tools to break it down for yourself. And when you do, you live a more powerful life, more authentic life, more real, more, more sovereign life. Yeah. I love that. All right, now on to the next slide. Okay. Beauty and youth. Yes. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, you know, you and I have shared how growing up we were so commented upon for our looks, either you're too skinny or you're too fat or you're too chubby or you're too pretty or you're not so pretty. You know, we constantly got comments objectifying us for how we looked mm. and it tortured us. Even if the comments were sometimes positive. Oh, yeah, talk to me about that. Yeah, so, you know, when people don't realize that anytime something is overly praised and it's nothing to do with our internal, it's something to do with our external, either our achievement, competence, or our beauty for women, especially, then we identify with that. And then when we're not that, or we see ourselves not being that, it makes us feel like we are worthless mm. because we've been told we are the achievement or we are the beauty. So if we're not that, then who are we? So even if it's like you're so beautiful, now it's a bloody pressure. Now I have to keep being that beautiful. How do you keep being beautiful? It puts pressure on you to be perfect, to be amazing. And this is something I tell parents, be careful when you praise your kid for something external because they will identify with that as being the way to get worth and you screw them up for life and they can't dis disentangle from that, you know? So either by being called too fat or being called too skinny, you're gonna get messed up because you identify with that comment and culture has so much judgment around how we look. You know, we are raised with a very particular standard of beauty. Women know it. Sometimes it's the voluptuous look, sometimes it's the anorexic look. It doesn't matter. There's always a look that we're all like sheep trying to look like. Do you see the trends? Yeah. Don't subscribe to the standard of beauty. Don't subscribe to this idea of youth because you can't hold on to your youth. And don't mutate your body to serve the needs of this patriarchy. But it's really we women competing with each other. Yeah. You know, who are we trying to look better than? Our sisters. For the sake of what? So we have to examine the ways our insecurities are breeding this over-competitiveness and how we're mutating our bodies, injecting all sorts of implants and spending hours in front of the mirror and critiquing ourselves. You know, we are so harsh on ourselves because we have internalized the oppressive voice of this toxic patriarchy. Mm. The internal critic is brutal. It's it's way harsher than any societal absolutely. comments that I get, for yeah. sure. We are the ones looking in the mirror and dissecting the wrinkle here, the earlobe hanging here, <laughs> you know, the, the little cellulite. The, no one from the outside is doing it. We are at war with our own bodies because of this inner critic. And we women need to say no more. I, I got tired of being at war. So I was like, okay, either I starve myself or I accept, you know? And I went on this radical acceptance a decade ago that I have big hips according to culture. Okay, it's I was all gonna relative. Say, yeah. yeah, if I go to another culture, they'll be like, you're so tiny. Yes. So I'm very aware. It's in, I'm, I'm really glad you said everything's all relative. It's all relative, right? Um, and in this culture, they're considered big. And in this culture, I feel really shitty about my big hips. So I'm going to decide that I won't let culture own me. And I'm going to own my own hips. 